Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Stephen, thank you for tickling the ivories. You're the best. Appreciate you. Um, I got to ask this question as, as we get started today. By a show of hands, who would say, like, since streaming came out, I'm a watch a movie at home person. Like, I gave up on the movie theater. This is a show of hands. Like, who's like, I, I don't need to go to the little thing where I sit in the airplane seat next to a ton of other people. Who's, like, still faithfully movie theater people? Movie theater people. You're like, I want to go Friday night, get my popcorn, cherry Coke, nacho cheese sauce, dip my popcorn in the nacho cheese, throw that up. Okay. Uh, I'm a stream person now. I'm not going to lie. Like, get to watch it in bed with my wife much better than random people at a movie theater. Um, but Sinopolis ruined me. I'm going to be honest. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like if it's the bougie movie theater, I'm all for it. Like if it's the movie theater where you get the seat where you can go and then you hit the other one and like a guy comes out with like a flame and like on a plate, like I'm about, you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one who's been to this movie? I think there's one like right down the street. Yeah. I'm a big Sinopolis guy and this was not more than about a year ago. And, and you know, when you go to Sinopolis, you got to like get a ticket and a seat ahead of time. Like you get an assigned seat, kind of like an airplane. And we show up for our movie and we're a few minutes late and it's dark and the commercials had just ended. And you know, you're like kind of awkwardly like sneaking through, trying not to make a destruction. And I'm looking for 17C and 17D. And I go to where they should be, and sitting in my two seats for me and my buddy is a family of seven squeezed into seven seats. Like mom, dad on the other side, all these kids, cousin, aunt, grandma. Like they brought the whole family, and they're just squeezed into two seats. And I'm like looking, double-checking, making sure, and I do. So I approach the father, um, and I go, hey, sir, I think you're in my seat. He goes, I think you're mistaken. And I go, ah, 17, 17. He goes, nah, buddy, think you're wrong. Find a different seat. I go, okay. So I go to the poor girl who's, like, working the front, you know, and she's, like, 16. And I'm like, hey, lady, can you help me? I think these people are in my seat. She's like, oh, over and talk to them. She walks over to go talk to this family of seven sitting in two seats. And, and, and she goes, like, I'm watching it happen, and they're kind of talking. The dad kind of, like, says something loud. The girl puts her head down and walks away. I'm like, what is going on? She comes back. She goes, they won't leave. I need to get the police. I'm like, okay. Three security police guys, like, more like mall cops. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Take it way too serious. So like, we got a code red. It's just a movie theater, buddy. So they, they come up. I watch all three of them go to the family. And before I know it, the dad stands up and screams. The movie's happening. Yells, make me leave. The cop yells back at him. Now, like, two rows back, another dude pops up just as they got this random guy's back. He's like, yeah, make him leave. Now, like, eight people stand up in this movie theater, and they're yelling at each other going crazy. Pause. I'm the type of guy, I love a good scene. Anyone with me? Like, if drama's going down, I just want to see what's happening. Now, also, 
I love watching a good scene, but the second like someone puts a fist towards me, I'm like, I'm out. You know, I'm like, I was the guy in middle school who like loved to like instigate and say things. And the second the guy was like, show me, I was like, nope, I'm good. Like I back out. I love a good scene. We're watching this go down. It is absolutely crazy. They end up kicking all these people out of the movie theater. I had like four rows to myself, which was kind of nice. Um, and, I, and I share that story to say this, really. Um, I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, we love spectating scenes. I think there's this cultural phenomenon going right now that I think all of us, if we're being honest, probably even this morning experience, and it's this reality that we wake up and we see things happening on our phones, sometimes super tragic things, like shootings, death, hardship, war. And I don't know about you, but like I'm just being honest. Has anybody been in this place before where like you know you should feel like a deep level of compassion and empathy but because it's so frequent and because it's so often you get in this weird place where you're like I know I should feel about this but I don't feel how I should and and I, I explain it this way anyone just feel numb at times Like there's this numbness that has kind of come over us as a culture. And it's this feeling of like we're spectating the pain of people all the time. But because there's so much coming at us from every different angle, all the different times, all the news, all the social media, it's just bombarding us. I think what the enemy has done is he knows he doesn't have to destroy us if he can keep us numb. Because the essence of following the person of Jesus is understanding the characteristics and the nature of how Jesus walked in in his life. And we as little Christians, Christians should look at his life and model it. Now, never in the scriptures, not even in the gospel message itself, do I see Jesus just spectate the pain of people. Actually, I can make the argument that the entire gospel is God not settling for spectating the pain and destruction of his people, but actually stepping in at the last moment and participating and bringing healing. So, so why am I bringing this up? Because I have felt a real burden really over the last little time. As, as I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's a stat group that does these very honest statistics on the church. And you might be going to church for a long time. This might be your first day. But um, I, I want to read a few things to you. And my prayer is this, that it wouldn't be something that is just something. If you hear it and you're like, that's sad, but like doesn't deal with me. Here's the feeling. You, you know the difference between when you see like a post of like a famous athlete pass away, but then when you got the call of a family member that passed away, and because it was close to home, your reaction and the compassion and the empathy and the sadness actually weighed on you. You know what I'm talking about? There's a difference here. And what I think the enemy has done is there is a real, there's a real issue happening right now in our culture when it comes to the generation that's rising up. There is. There's a real spiritual attack the enemy is attempting to put on the young people in the next generation. And I think what the enemy has attempted to do is to keep the older generation numb from the fact and out of the game and on the sideline when the reality is we all have a role to play in not spectating the pain of Gen Z but participating and bringing healing to it. And here's the stat. I mean, I could go on and on and I don't really want to bore you, but um, one in five Gen Z high school students seriously considered suicide. That's CDC. Now, CDC also put out that just under gun violence, the leading cause of death in people ages 11 to 21 
is suicide. Depression and anxiety has become a struggle now for the majority of young people. And, and we, I, like this could go all day, but here's the one that Barna put out that I want you to catch as a church this morning. Barna estimates that over 1 million individuals who grew up in church, that would count children's ministry and youth ministry, in the last 10 years has left the church. That we see 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church tell Barna that they have withdrawn from church involvement after being adult, and now that being they are, they are an adult after being active as a child or teen. Now, this could be something we hear and we're like, tough, like, yeah, the times are different. The kids are hard. It's, we know the stat line's going downhill. And, and, and here's really what I want to impress on your heart this morning. Is that God, yes, wants to do something in you. But a follower of Jesus knows it's not just for me, but it's for God to do something through me. And that every blessing of God comes with a role and responsibility with God. And no matter if you're a parent, a grandparent, a business owner, I could go down the spectrum of wherever you find yourself in here. I want to make the argument and persuade you this morning that all of us play a role in bringing healing to the next generation. All of us do. And I know the stat line is trending one way. I know suicide is on the rise. I know depression and anxiety is on the rise. But I believe God is looking for a church. God is looking for a people group. And God is looking for some believers who are crazy enough to stand in the gap and say, as for me and my house, as for me and my church, I don't believe that even though the enemy is taking them one way. And here's what I got to get in your heart this morning. Is that, yes, the enemy is trying to capture the hearts and the lives of every young person. Why? Because he has a plan just like God has a plan. God's plan is to give them life and life to the fullest. The enemy's plan is to kill steal and destroy and this is what we have to understand is that with the power of Jesus Christ behind us the same spirit that rose Christ from above is living inside of us we got to stand in the gap and say we are not going to see a generation fall away from Jesus I have a role I have a responsibility God's called me to this the way I parent the way I lead the way I do business all of it actually matters I don't care how you found yourself here today you have a role you have a role And what we got is a lot of Christians right now who are cool with receiving. They just don't want to do anything. It's time to mobilize. And I just believe this is not just for, this is what I want to bring it home. The first memorial I did, this was about a year and a half ago, was for a 14-year-old kid in this community. Parents had no idea he was struggling. Friends had no idea he was struggling. In the middle of the night, one night, climbed up on a light tower, jumped off, and took his own life. And I hope you understand that this is not just an issue out there somewhere. This is an issue happening in our backyard. The enemy is coming for our kids. The enemy is coming for this community. And practically today, what I want to equip you with, no matter where you stand, is I want to help you not just step into your role, but three things today you can do to make an impact in Generation Z today. You guys here for it? All right, let's roll. I want you to jump to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where we're going to be landing today. And um, just some context of this. This is Moses, and he's been leading the Israelites. They're about to enter Canaan. And he pauses for a moment, and historians believe that this was a meeting that took place between some leaders and family heads of the tribes of Israel. And Moses just pauses for a moment before they enter the next season, and he's beginning to remind them of the word of God, remind them of the commands of God, remind them to go back to their first love. 
If you've ever noticed this, that sometimes if you've been following Jesus for a long time, it's the simple things we sometimes forget. But it's the simple things that are the most effective things. And in verse 5, it says this. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Verse 8, tie them on your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders. Verse 9, write them on your doorposts of your house and of your gates. Three ways you can make a difference today. Um, I have a few weaknesses in life, just a few. Um, One of them is driving. I'm just not a great driver, like currently right now. There is a key mark from the front door of my car to the back door of my car. And my wife, she goes, what happened? And I literally had to go, could have been the... Like, I couldn't even remember. There are so many times driving that I probably made someone mad. And, and, and I, I, I say this to say, um, I remember being in driving school, and, you know, they teach you, like, 10 and 2, hands on the wheel, and you drive. And literally, I'm thinking in my head as they're teaching me this. I'm going, when's the part where they teach me, like, how to eat in and out on my lap and drive with my knee? Like, when does that part come into the lesson? Um, and what's funny is I, I learned and saw that from my dad. Now, most of us, especially if we're parents, like we've all been in the predicament before where we're like, I just wish my kid would do what I said, not what I do. You know what I'm talking about? And we know the statistics that come out and they believe that Gen Z is one of the generations that values authenticity. And I think one of the issues we are colliding with is this truth, that we want God to do something in them that we won't allow him to do in us. Because a lot of, like, I hear this so much, like, people just, like, complaining. They're lazy. They didn't work like I worked. They weren't in the factory. I don't know, like, they don't have smoker's cough like I did. You know, like, they just do their TikTok dances. Lazy generation, you know. And I go, like, well, every generation is a product of the generation that came before them. And this should convict us a little bit. Because I think complaining is just us delegating the problem to them. When I know biblical teaching, when we learn this from when Solomon writes the Proverbs, that book is written as a father to a son. That actually the model we get in scripture from teaching comes from the parent, one generation teaching the next generation. And we can't be a generation that goes, I want them to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Discipleship starts when you make the jump to trusting and sacrificing for God and saying, look, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm prospering, God's been good to me, let me show you how this thing works. And what we have done is we've gone like, I want this generation to vote a certain way or to have a certain look on sexuality, but I won't be pure myself. I want this generation to live different, talk different, but like I'm going to talk to my wife or I'm going to talk to my friends however I want. I want my kids to go to church and be passionate about church, but like I show up once a month. And we want God to do something in them that we're not willing to allow him to do in us. And I would say this, it's not about perfection. It's just about them seeing Jesus inside of you. 
catch this. I'm not here to preach like we got to be these perfect moral people that got the whole church thing put together. No, no, no. I'm saying the most convincing argument for a generation is seeing a group of people who are just maybe a few years older than them going, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the grace and blood of Jesus. I wouldn't be here if his hand didn't pull me from the pit of death and bring me to where I am today. I I haven't been perfect. I don't have all the answers. I'm still going to make mistakes, but you're going to see Jesus in and through me. I've learned this. Most of faith isn't taught. It's caught. Like most of the things I do today is just because I caught my dad reading his word. I caught my parents praying together. I caught my dad apologizing. Like I just caught things. And some of you going like, I'm not a parent though, bro. Like I work at Starbucks. Dude, I love Starbucks. I work at Starbucks and Chick-fil-A. Like I am the stereotype. And like... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a businessman, bro. Like, or I, I work in construction. I work wherever. Like, I don't have kids. It's everything. Here's the thing is I think a lot of us, um, we have minimized following Jesus to just what he gives us. And we forget that this thing is about what he does in us, but also through us. And, and I, I was preaching in a different country just a couple weeks ago. And it was wild. This church had this discipleship model where it was one-to-one. Every single person in their church had one person they poured into. You know, in the scriptures, actually, we don't ever see Jesus give an altar call. Like, never once. You will not find in the gospel Jesus go like, anyone want to be saved? Actually, all we see Jesus ever do is say, follow me. So I would say no matter where you find yourself today, if you got someone at Starbucks who's a few years, few years younger, younger, have them follow you. If you got someone in your workplace who's maybe just struggling a little bit, step in, disciple. If God's done something in you, it's time for him to do something through you. And you got to step into the reality that God wants me to disciple. God wants me to multiply. God wants me to build. I don't have to have kids to have spiritual kids. I don't have to be a parent to be a spiritual parent. Some of you are so practical. Start serving in youth. Start serving in kids. That's, that's for the youth pastor right there. That's the plug. Do, like, allow God to use you. Allow God to use you. So the first one, I want you to write this down. Uh, we see in verse 5, it says this, Love the Lord, your, the God, with not your pastor's heart, not your church's heart, not your mom and dad's heart. It says, with your heart. So the first one is this, live it out, pass it down. Live it out, pass it down. We jump into verse 7. It says this, repeat them again and again to your children. Now, parents, a lot of times they get to this place and they're like, fired up. Yeah, I want to I want to live it out. I want to pass it down. But like, my kids don't listen to me, bro. Like, I don't know what Carlsbad kids you're talking about. My kids don't listen to me. And you know what's funny about this is I remember one of the first times uh, I was like, I, I was way too young to get hired. I think I was 19 and they trusted me to run a youth ministry. Not here, a different church. And I remember the first time this kid said something inappropriate to a girl and he got put into my office and I was supposed to like discipline him. I'm like two years older than him. And uh, I'm like, I'm like, buddy, go, why do you think it's okay for you to say that? You know what he said to me? He said, oh, that's what my dad says to my mom. And it just goes to show, I've just seen this play out. Even when they don't show you with their facial expressions or with their response to you that they're listening, they're listening. You know how I know? Because most of the kids in my youth ministry can repeat verbatim like apology rap song front to back, like the whole entire thing. Because they listen. They might not tell you they do, but they listen. And here's what I know that's so true. Social media, culture, the world is bombarding and screaming to indoctrinate the next generation with a message. 
And it's not a message that will lead them to life and life to the fullest. So I just believe there's got to be a church in our, in our city that rises up and say we're going to be just as loud. We're going to be just as passionate. We're going to be just as consistent. And we're going to talk about the message of Jesus that is actually going to heal and bring freedom to their life. So we live it out, we pass it down, but then we also got to talk about it constantly. When's the last time you opened up your mouth, you shot out a post, you did something that like acknowledged to the people around you that like Jesus is my savior. Like he's done a lot in my life. We got to talk about it, not just constantly, but consistently. Parents all the time, they're like, yo, like my kid, he's not changing. He's been a youth group for like a month. Still disrespectful. And I'm like, yo, bro, like. I get like two hours of discipleship. You give your kid TikTok for like eight hours a day. And you expect that like that's going to. Now, I believe this. In one moment, the spirit of God can unwrap and, and uh, soften hearts that are hard and far from. I believe that. But sometimes it's just practical. Romans tells us this, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen. Renewing. So some of us, we just got to get like, okay, I got a young person. I got to help them think better i got to help them understand how God would want them to think about this. And here's where it comes practically. How do I do this? How do I do this? Call lies, lies. Here's what gets me so irritated. It's like culture will be screaming something out about sexuality, and we're quiet about it. And then we got our young people growing up confused and don't know what to do and don't know where to go. If you're a person who follows Jesus, scream the truth in love. But like in private conversations with kids and young people in the next generation, we got to be people who's able to call a lie a lie, call the enemy out on what he's doing wrong, be able to speak the truth with confidence. We believe this, that the truth will set you free. So a generation's bound, it's just because they don't know the truth. I see this every week. I just preach the truth and kids are like, wait, what? God actually created me a male? Yes. Because they don't know the truth. And this is practical, but we just got to be people who go like, we live by the truth. We live by the word. I read my Bible daily. I get that inside of me. My heart is full with it. You know the truth? Speak about it constantly. And the last one is, is this, and it's really practical. And before I get to it, I just think this is the part in most of our lives where um, maybe we're saved and maybe we're here now. And we're like, okay, I want to start living for Jesus. I want to pass it down. I want to talk to him about it. But like, I'm just a Brisa. And here's for me, you ever feel this? Like the second you want to do something bold for God, insecurity just, pfft. I'm not good enough. I don't have a theology degree. I'm not Pastor Josh. Like I can't do the whole like speaking in tongues thing yet. Like I don't, I don't know, man. Like I'm insecure about this. I don't know if I have the voice for it. And, you know, we wouldn't be the first ones because most of scripture we see that God never chose the most gifted. He just chose people who were open, willing, and available. Exodus chapter 4, we see that Moses is making excuses for why he can't speak for God. And then we hear God look back at him and go, who put that mouth on you? Open it and speak. And here's what gets me. Whenever I feel insecure, I want to remind you of a powerful truth of Scripture. It says this. Paul writes to 2 Corinthians 5.19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through Pastor Josh. God is making his appeal through Stephen Furtick. No. Us. 
So we speak for God when we plead, come back to God. You guys didn't hear me. The guy who made hippopotamuses. The guy who stars and galaxies into existence. The guy who holds the whole world in the palm of his hands. We speak for him. What an honor. What a gift. The reason we're insecure is because we're th- we think we're speaking for ourselves. Let me help you for a moment. We speak for God. We speak for the creator of the heavens and the earth. We speak for the one who authored life himself. We got to get some confidence back. We got to get some pimp in our step. We got to get our voice roaring again. Why? Because when we speak to a generation, come back to God. It's not our own wit or intellect that does that. It is the spirit of the living God alive inside of us that gives us the power to reach to a generation and scream the message of reconciliation. I'm not that good. Pastor Josh, no one's that good. The secret sauce is this. We live it out, we pass it down. Yes, we talk about it constantly, but we got to pray for them like no one else is. And any of you right now that went prayer, that's a basic answer. You don't pray. Because if you prayed, you would know. That it is the lifeline, it is the connection, it is the communication to the one that gives me the power and the strength to do this for another day. We got to pray for them. And I, I will close with this story. We got, we got time. I don't know where we're at. Cool. And the band, go ahead and, and come up. I know it's hot in here. I want to jump in there. Hopefully it's cold. Get the ice bath. You ever done that before? God, so dumb. So dumb. What's funny about the ice bath is no one can do it without posting that they did the ice bath. Like, you know, like... Yeah, we get it, bro. You can sit in cold water. 17 minutes is my personal best, but just putting that out there. Anyways, I'm at this school. We do this campus club thing where we pop up at public schools and we talk about Jesus. Do this do like youth ministry at a school. And we have this one campus club and it ends. And um, this young man comes up to me afterwards and begins to just kind of un- unload his heart to me. And he tells me, he's like, yo, um, I'm actually in a tough spot. I am 17, 17 or 18. And he tells me that, uh, his parents left him when he was a kid. He's been in and out of foster care, different homes, and he's actually facing like a felony charge. And uh, he has a couple weeks left um, before he goes to trial. And he's at school, and uh, he's like, "Yo, I just heard you guys do this church thing." So I was like, "Why not show up?" And I go, "Wow!" And I just preached on this, this that Second Corinthians text, and I got the fire. I was like, "You know what? God speak. I'm gonna speak." I, I go, "Hey, man, like, do you have a relationship with with God?" He's like, "No." <laughs> I just told you I have a felony charge. I was like, no, no, no. Like, but do you have a relationship with God? He's like, no, man. Like, I, I've done some pretty bad, bad things, man. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not asking what you did. I'm asking if you have a relationship with God. And it struck me that this kid's view of church and following God is still predicated on how good or bad of a person he is. And any of us in this tent who follow Jesus know the real truth behind this. It has nothing to do with how good I am. Has nothing to do with the works or moral deeds that I could ever do. But it has everything to do with the grace and goodness and love of God. Yeah. We, we clap. But there are still young people out there who think it's all about what they can do. 
And I'm just saying to our to this church today, I go like, if you want to see a generation change, we got to be ones who scream about the love, scream about the grace. And this is what we got to do. It's not always about like saying no to things. Because what I've learned is like this generation, they're just caught up. They're like, yo, but I can never live that pure. I can never live that holy. And I'm like, yeah, you can't by your own strength. It's far more about a yes to God than it is a no to this world. Because with a yes to God, what it does is it's an automatic no to everything else. Like repentance, it's the same way. It's not about what we're turning away from. It's what we're turning to. And what we got to do is be good message carriers, believing for the best in people, speaking the grace over them, believing that they're going to come to know Jesus because of the goodness of who he is. But we got to first live it out. We got to pass it down. And, And here's the last thing. And I just go like, we can't be a church that believes the gospel is only powerful in environments like this. This kid, I, I tell him you're in the perfect spot to meet Jesus. That actually he loves you regardless of anything you've ever done. That actually, in this very moment, you can have a relationship with him. And he goes, really? I go, yeah. We're now five, ten minutes into the lunch being done. The entire classroom's outside waiting to get in. And the teacher and myself lay hands on this young man as he accepts the gospel of Jesus Christ into his life. And here's what I know. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power behind it, is not just when the keyboard's playing. It is not just when the room looks like this. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is alive and active wherever you walk. You are an ambassador for Jesus. And that's the role we walk in and that's how we see a generation saved. So would you stand to your feet all over this room as we close today? If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.